testing. Welcome to Taiwan Brief, insights on news impacting Taiwan. I'm Donovan Smith in Taichung, Taiwan. All right, before we dive in, I'd like to thank our patrons who keep this project going and more than once have ensured I made rent. So I'd like to thank Emily, Najee, Nathan, Frank, Sebastian, Ryan, Joshua, Lauren, Carlos, and Paul. Thanks to all of you, you've made a huge difference to us here at Taiwan Report. All right, the top story today is that Lord Zhiqiang has finally bowed out of the Taoyuan mayoral race. Now, some recent Taiwan Brief shows have explored this in detail, so check those out for the background on this story. In a nutshell, the KMT primary for Taoyuan mayor has been extraordinarily contentious and bitter especially between Taipei City Councilor Luo Zhiqiang and KMT Chair Eric Zhu, or Zhu Liluan, who told him it would be over his dead body that Luo would be the candidate and that a local was needed. Luo persisted anyway and resigned as city councilor and bought a house in Taoyuan to move his household residence. He was, at the time, arrayed against local candidates, most notably KMT legislator uh, Liu Yuling, who re resented his parachuting in. Then, out of the blue, Zhu announced that the party had chosen former vice presidential candidate and ex-premier Simon Zhang, or Zhang Shan Zhang, as their candidate. Again, an outsider. On the face of it, he's not a bad candidate, but the arbitrariness of it infuriated nearly everyone at the time including pushing Liu and Luo together into the same camp in opposition. Now, there were threats both locally and around the country of leaving the party, a possibility that Liu openly considered. Since the last show came out, more and more people came back into the fold and quieted down, including eventually Liu, though she continued to criticize Zhu over the issue. Luo continued, however, and was on a walking tour through Taoyuan and continued his attacks on Zhu, calling him all sorts of names, such as feckless. Though Zhu and the KMT Central Standing Committee, Committee do have the right to unilaterally choose a candidate, it is more common that the candidate is chosen through either a negotiation process or by opinion polling. Luo called the process and Simon Zhang illegitimate for bypassing the normal process and that he was the victim of, quote, procedural injustice and reminded everyone of the 2016 presidential election when Zhu was chair back then and dumped Hong Xiu Zhu as their candidate for president to replace her with himself. Luo issued a call for Simon Zhang to submit to a polling primary, which Luo or Liu just might have won if he'd agreed to it. In the end, however, Zhang brushed him off, and Luo finally announced he was ending his campaign on Facebook. So what's next for Luo? Luo is too embedded in the KMT to leave the party, so I doubt that will be his next step, in spite of his frequent attacks on the current state of the party. Some are calling for him to be the KMT mayoral candidate for Kaohsiung, which, incidentally, was what Eric Ju wanted him to do from the beginning. Luo turned it down then, so it would be surprising if he took it up now, but it is possible. The KMT is having serious trouble finding a candidate down there, as nearly everyone is turning them down. 
The one possible candidate for Kaohsiung who has indicated some interest is the number two runner-up in the last KMT chair race, the deep, deep blue ideologue Zhang Yajong. Even he described winning in Kaohsiung as very, very, very difficult. Party Brass is now heading down to Kaohsiung to try and sort out some sort of consensus on a candidate who would be acceptable to local leaders and actually has some interest in running. Now back to, to Luo Zhiqiang's prospects. In a sense, he's been very successful in his disastrous run. He's gotten considerable press attention and sympathy in the party. While it's possible he could try for one of the soon-to-open-up legislative seats, such as presumably when Wang Jiangwanan of the KMT resigns his seat to concentrate on his campaign for Taipei mayor. I have another theory on what he's really after, though it's just a theory. Eric Ju has had a very tough run as KMT party chair, and if the party doesn't do well in the local elections later this year, he'll be under intense pressure to resign. If that happens, and Luo runs for party chair, then all his attacks on Ju, the party, the candidate nomination processes, and the party brass will make an awful lot of sense in hindsight. Speaking of Wayne Changwanan's legislative seat, now that he's a candidate for Taipei mayor, he's the topic of an upcoming show, by the way. Something odd caught my eye. His challenger in the last election in for the legislature was Enoch Wu, or Winong, of the DPP, who did well but lost. He then took up the post of DPP Taipei chapter head, but recently decided not to run for re-election. He just announced he's planning to run for legislature in 2024. Now, why not try again for the same seat as last time in, in a by-election, assuming that Jiang steps down to concentrate on his campaign? Why specify 2024? I don't really know, but it bears watching. Now, speaking of Enoch Wu, who is, by the way, the brother of Emily Wu, the notable podcaster, I found out something interesting about him you might, you might find interesting. A while back, I was speaking with Tanner Greer, who has relocated to Washington, D.C., and I was asking him about what was the thinking there on the team of President Tsai, U.S. Representative Xiaobi Kim, and Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. He said he wasn't sure, but said that the guy everyone was talking about was Enoch Wu. I laughed. Here in Taiwan, he's famous for being one of the two handsome brothers in his race against Wayne Jiang. It makes sense, though. Wu used to be an American citizen, is a native English speaker, I think, and is deeply committed to Taiwan defense issues. So, Eric Ju is in America on, a, on an 11-day tour, which will include the reopening of a KMT office in Washington, D.C. I read the KMT statement on it, but to save time, here's the CNA translation slash summary. KMT Chair Eric Ju has reiterated the KMT's historically close ties with the U.S., saying that the party continues to fight against communism and compete with the Chinese Communist Party regarding values and political systems, the KMT said in a statement yesterday. Zhu, who was on an 11-day trip to the U.S., made the remarks during a visit at, to the Hoover Institution at Stanford University in California on Thursday and highlighted that the KMT and the U.S. share memories of fighting side by side. 
The U.S. and China, which was ruled by the KMT at the time, were allies during World War II, and more than 250,000 U.S. personnel served in what was known as the China-Burma-India Theater. The KMT has fought against communism for the past 100 years and in bloody battles to defend Taiwan, but is still willing to maintain exchanges with China's private sector, Zhu said. I disagree with that translation. It said Minxian, which is more like civil society, not private sector, but okay, anyway. Not included in the CNA summary is that he said that since the founding of the KMT, it has been more pro-U.S. Then, to the press, he said that it is very clear that the KMT is pro-U.S. and that pro-China was just a label put on them by the DPP. He also made another comment, this time I believe to the press, that the 1992 consensus was creatively vague and that it was, and I think he used English for this, quote, a non-consensus consensus. Now, I may do a full show on this topic and what all this means soon, but to give you some food for thought, I'd like to quote from a show I did right after Jew won the party chair race. During the second debate, he broke with his usual all-things-to-all-people style and made a strong case for why he, and only he, was the one who would defend the ROC and hold off the, quote, red unificationists and save the nation from being annexed by China. It was a stirring call to arms that evoked memories of the 1990s when the KMT may have talked about eventual unification. Everyone knew they hated the communists so much they would fight tooth and nail before ever coming under their heel. In short, unlike the more recent history of the KMT, a party that could be trusted to keep the Chinese communists at bay. That's a potentially viable future for the party. So, freshly elected as chair and ready to point the way to the future, what does Zhu do? Bow obsequiously to Xi Jinping in the matter of Maing, in the manner of Maing Zhou. One of the few favors that Xi granted Johnny Jiang, or Jiang Jichen, the former KMT chair when he became party chair, is he refused to send a congratulatory letter. The first time in many moons, the head of the CCP failed to do so. Upon Zhu's election, Xi sent him a congratulatory note which included the following, using a Taipei Times description. Quote, at present, the situation in the Taiwan Strait is complex and grim, she wrote, calling for unity among all Zhonghua, Chinese, sons and daughters, and expressing the hope that the two parties will work together to, quote, seek peace for the Taiwan Strait, seek reunification for the country, and seek rejuvenation for the nation. Within hours, Zhu had responded. Now, pay close attention to that timeline. Zhu elected, she quickly sends congratulations, and Zhu quickly responds. I can't say for sure or if Zhu or the KMT was informed if in advance that she would congratulate him, or they just assumed he would, but either way, Zhu's response was ready and seemed to echo Xi's comments. There is no way Ju could pass dash off a quick note off the top of his head to Xi. It was pre-planned. Here is what Ju's response read, 
with some translation changes by myself, modifying a translation widely shared around on the internet. In the past three decades, between our two parties, cross-strait relations through multi-level exchanges and cooperation at all levels yielded beneficial progress. In recent years, however, the DPP administration has changed the status quo across the strait by adopting decinification and anti-China policies that created a tough situation across the strait and an extreme sense of insecurity among people across the strait. People on both sides of the strait are the descendants of Yan and Huang, i.e. Chinese people. On the basis of the 1992 consensus and opposing Taiwan independence, we hope from now on that our parties can pursue consensus and respect differences, promote mutual trust and integration, enhance exchanges and cooperation so that the peaceful development of the cross-strait relations can move forward. This is beneficial to the people across the strait and the promotion of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. If you want to re-listen to that part, go ahead. It is as bad as it sounded. Now, in the second debate, Zhu pounded away at the point that he would insist to Xi that he respect the KMT's version of the 1992 consensus that includes each side different interpretations. Funny, no sign of that. Though he did use his full party title and noted the year as 110 using the ROC calendar, but then helpfully put 2021 in parentheses after it. Now, there is a part of what I read above which the translator rendered as pursue consensus and respect differences. There is, that is one way of translating the words he used, which were qiu tong zun yi. There is another way to translate that, which is seek unification while respecting differences. It's that second translation I just provided that seems to be how it was read in China. And referring to it, a spokesperson for China's Taiwan Affairs Office said, quote, regarding the differences between the two sides of the strait, the Chinese side is willing to hold dialogue under the one China principle and seek the path to resolution. Leaving aside her referring to the Chinese side, which appears to suggest Taiwan is a different side, there is no ambiguity on their side how they interpreted that part of Jews' letter a call for unification. Also note, almost right out of the gate, he blames the DPP and praises cooperation with the Chinese Communist Party. Of course, it must be the DPP's fault because it is clearly them who have upset the status quo by flying bombers and warplanes in China's air defense zones and limiting China's diplomatic space. Oh, wait. That's what the Chinese communists are doing to upset the status quo, not the DPP. The letter clearly reads like his fellow Taiwanese compatriots in the DPP are more of an enemy than the CCP. Think through the message that sends to the Taiwanese people about where his priorities are on defending their freedoms, independence, and way of life. He's saying to the Taiwanese public he's more interested in working with a brutal, genocidal, and increasingly Orwellian party state bent on annexing Taiwan 
than with the democratic government the Taiwanese people themselves elected. In short, Zhu's letter was right out of Mind Zhou's playbook, and with that turn of phrase, possibly even more playing into Xi's hands. Okay, uh, I was pleased with that show, by the way, and there's a lot more if you want to go back and listen to that one. But this, you can see, gives you some food for thought on what I may expand into a full show. So, while Jew is in the U.S., he's saying what the Americans want to hear. But to Xi, he's saying what he thinks they want, they want to hear. It doesn't help that the other day, former President Ma Ying-jeou decided to praise Xi Jinping's, quote, democracy on Facebook on the eve of his departure. Classy move on Ma's part to undermine Jew right out of the gate. Now, Ma has a clear pro-China bent, but what does Zhu actually believe? Well, we have no way of knowing. I haven't been able to detect any underlying common threads or patterns suggesting a clear ideology or belief on these issues other than straddling both the pro-U.S. and pro-China elements within the KMT. In fact, it's entirely possible he doesn't even know. Perhaps he's such a creature of politics, he just says what is expected of him and doesn't have any particular belief on the subject. He's general, generally thought of as a pragmatist rather than an ideologue, and that appears to be the case here. Okay, let's close on President Tsai's announcement that she will continue raising the minimum wage for her remaining time in office. So far, she's raised the minimum wage every year in office, according to a CNA report, Though off the top of my head, I thought she'd skipped a year, but she's raised the minimum wage by just over one quarter to 25,250 NT a month, or about the same as the amount during the entire eight years of the Ma administration. She's actually increased the hourly minimum wage by a slower pace than he did, and it now stands at 168 NT an hour. She didn't specify the amounts they would be raised by in the next two years. Now, if she follows on the pattern she's used so far, the minimum wage will be roughly 26,500 to 28,000, and the hourly rate to roughly 180 NT when she leaves office. However, since she will be term limited out, she may opt to go bolder, perhaps hitting around 30,000 NT and 200 NT. It'll be interesting to watch what she does with this and which strategy, strategy she goes for. Will she think about the economy or business objections or her legacy and rewarding her strong support base among the youth? All right, that's it for today's program. Be sure to tune in. We've got another one coming up on Wayne Jiangwanan and his run for... Taipei Mayor.